All right, so we're in John 14. And so tonight, uh, a very simple message, uh, but I think one that we need to examine. Uh, and I preach on this from time to time. And about salvation, knowing that we're saved. And when we are going out and we're sharing the gospel with people and even uh, people that we meet in church, uh, everybody falls into uh, one of four categories, okay? So there's three categories I'm going to go through tonight. Of course, when we're talking about salvation, uh, people can fall into several different categories, okay? Uh, And out of those categories, only one category is the right one. And that one category that people fall into is what we need to be concerned with and make sure that we're falling into the right category tonight. And what I'm saying will make sense here in just a minute. Uh, we only mentioned three categories because we already know that people that reject God and are, not, are lost in the world today, uh, that they fall into the category of the lost. And so, well, p- preacher, you know, I understand what you're saying, but aren't there only two categories? Technically, yes. But I'm going to break it down a little bit and tonight. And people that think they are saved, but they're not. People that profess to be saved, however, they are not because they've never accepted Jesus Christ. Yes, they're still in the lost category, but we're going to look at three categories tonight, only one being the right one, and a message entitled, Three Positions, One Truth. Three positions, one truth, and that'll make a little bit more sense as we go along. If we could stand together out of respect for the ring of the Word of God, we'll look at verses 23 and 24 tonight of John 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. Let's pray. Dear the Father, I pray that you will bless our time together in your word tonight. And Lord, as we look at what position we are in, I pray that we have the possession of eternal life through thy Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that this evening that these thoughts will be helpful as we talk to other people. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your word, and only you can show us where, uh, whether we are saved or not. Lord, if we've done as your word says and accepted thy gift, Lord, we know and we are secure in you. We're so thankful for that. Maybe some here tonight or someone listening online tonight that they're not sure about that. I pray that they would listen closely and that their heart would be stirred if they are not saved this evening. We pray your blessing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Three positions, one truth. So all three points start with a P tonight. Uh, so the first one, and these are pe- people that we run into, and I pray no one is this tonight. Number one, uh, they are professors. Now, I'm not talking about academic professors. Uh, but when you go to someone and you ask them, Uh, You know, maybe we knock on our door. How many people have you met? Maybe they hear you go to church and they say this. Oh, I'm a Christian, too. You know, and sometimes I couldn't tell by how you were talking a minute ago to your friend or or different things like that. They profess. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Uh, And they even say, hey, I'm saved. You know, and they ask, well, are you, are you saved? By the way, when you go knocking on door to door, asking that question is a loaded question. Because uh, if they say, well, you know, are you saved? Can I say that many different religions have a different, they use the same term, but they have a different definition. Amen. We need to use a biblical definition. And, when, and they have no idea what definition you're using. 
And so then when you ask someone that question, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. And then, well, we're on our merry way. Because then you have to say, well, why are you saved? And then the people get the kind of that look at you. And looks like, what, so are you doubting that I'm saved? So why are you asking me this question? There are other better questions to ask. Don't have time for that tonight. Uh, but just asking them, was there a time and a place in your life when you called upon Jesus to save you from your sin? And Or if you say, you know, well, I'm, and they say, oh, Murray, say, well, what do you mean by that? Oh, I, I went, I was confirmed, or I was baptized, or I'm a good person. But here, for Luke 6, 46 says, and why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. And there are many that profess to be Christians today. However, it doesn't seem that they do what the Lord says, do they? Why is that? There are those that say they're a Christian. They say they believe in Christ. They say that they're saved. They say, well, I love the Lord and I go to church. That's great. However, when you look at their life, their life shows something else. So I understand we're not, we're not the judges of the intents and hearts of man. God is. However, the Bible does gives us, gives us some truths here about the fruit of someone who is saved. The Bible does give us some guidelines here. In Romans chapter 6, this actually Romans 6, 1, if we could take our Bibles and turn there, we're going to read this here in just a moment. The first three verses, verse number 1 is our memory verse for this week. We'll quote that next week together. So everyone turn to Romans chapter 6 if you could. And uh, we'll read... Uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, I'll read those and then we'll say out loud together two times uh, verse number 1, which is our memory verse for this week. All right, so I know you all just sat down, but let's stand up once again. Let's get the blood, blood flowing here. Let's stand up. Romans chapter 6, and I'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll read verse number 1 out loud together. Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? All right, can read out loud together verse number one, two times over, and then we can sit back down. So let's begin. What shall we say then? Amen. All right, verse number one, one more time. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course, verse number two starts, what? God forbid. That's a no. Amen. You may sit, be seated. God forbid. So people that say, well, I'm a Christian, but yet they live any way they want. They have whatever morality they want. They have whatever, uh, they go to the club, they drink, they carouse, they do all of those things. Act just like the lost world. They say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, go, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. The Bible tells us that when we're saved, some, a change happens on the inside. Amen. All things are passive. All things are become new. Can I, am I saying that a Christian can't backslide and be tempted by sin? No, that's not what I'm saying. That does happen. But people that live with no disregard, no conviction over sin, nothing, and they claim they're a Christian, they're a professor, but they don't have true salvation. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, and he said unto them, O generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Remember the religious crowd, and we'll get to that here in just a minute, that they had their religion, but yet they were unwilling 
to accept that their way was not the way that God had for them. That wasn't the way of salvation. And what do, what do professors want? Well, they want the benefits of heaven, but they have no problem with any sin. They have no conviction over sin. They have no real understanding of what salvation is. They look no different than most lost people. Uh, we talked about slogan-based Christianity a couple weeks ago. They just hear, hey, I, I, maybe they went to church a few times. Maybe they grew up in church and they just took the slogan, yeah, I'm a Christian because I've been to church a few times. Or because most of America claims to be Christian, over 86% of Americans claim Christianity to be Christian. Well, if that's the truth, then why do we see all the problems outside? Because they are professors, but they are, don't not have the possession. Three groups here. Either you're a professor, you're a pretender, or you're a possessor. Okay, we're going to, of course, we know the last category is the correct one. So, are you a professor here? And I don't think anybody here is, but I don't know hearts. Say, hey, I'm a Christian, but you have no problem with sin. Maybe someone listening tonight, uh, many times we encounter people like that. When we knock on their door, they say, I'm a Christian. Many, I'm not saying all, but many, they are professors. They are a Christian in name only. And can I say something? You're only a Christian if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're only a true Christian. The Mormons call themselves Christians, but if you believe in their religious system, it's not what the Bible says. It's a it's a system of works. It is a system, they do not believe in the same Jesus. They do not believe in the same God. And yet they say, well, we're saved on our way to heaven. According to the Bible, they are not. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Jesus they worship is not the Jesus of the Bible. So they are a professor but they are not a possessor of eternal life because they have been deceived. Look at James chapter 2 for a moment. James chapter 2 and verses 14 through 20. We're going to look over there. Uh, because, I'm sorry, uh, so there are some say, well, when people need, can't look at my heart. You know, they wear the shirt. Only God can judge me. You know, my actions, you know, I can do what I want to do. I have Christian liberty, you know. I can just live however I want. God doesn't care. He wants me to be happy. Can I just tell you something? That nowhere in this book does it say God wants us to be happy. That God promises happiness. It doesn't say that anywhere. It promises joy. Happiness is based on our current circumstances. God brings joy and blessing to our life, which is different. Because our society is based on what makes us happy, what makes us feel good. God never promises that. He actually teaches against that. Because feelings lead to covetousness. Feelings lead to lust. It's about honoring and loving him. Amen. Because if you promise people, oh yeah, you're going to be happy and wealthy and healthy. But then when it doesn't happen, they say, well, this must be a fake God then. When it doesn't happen. Because the Bible promises tribulation. There's going to be tribulation that come. There are going to be hard times that come. There are trials that come because of the sinful world that we live in. It doesn't mean God isn't on the throne. It doesn't mean God isn't in control. It doesn't mean that God isn't almighty. It's because of this sinful world that we live in. And that's not God's fault. James chapter 2 verse 14 says this. What doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one say unto him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So let's pause here for a moment. So we're talking about people that profess to have faith, yet they don't act on it. 
Yet they don't have any works that go along with it. Giving an example here. Some people try to prove this is work salvation. Not at all. It's actually saying the opposite. Uh, that you say, hey, I'm a professor. I'm a Christian. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. What have you done for the Lord? Uh, nothing. But let's continue reading. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone, yea, man say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Now, we don't do good works to be saved. We're already saved, but we do good works because we are. If you're a professor of Christ, guess what? We're going to have those good works. We're going to help one another. We're going to edify one another. We're going to share the gospel with one another. Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? Dead. So we're talking about professors, you know, uh, people that claim to be Christians. Well, I know about Christ. Well, so do the devils. They, they claim, they know about Christ. You see that in the Gospels. They knew Christ. They know God. And they believe. Yet we know that they're not going to heaven. People can believe in God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, really quick, verses 8 and 11. They give us a critical piece of information. And this is, these are important verses, by the way. I encourage you to write them down to talk to people. I say, well, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm going to heaven because my grand, great daddy was a Christian or my dad was a preacher and I'm going to heaven because my dad's a preacher. And I, you know, and can I, and I like this phrase, not original to me, but God has no grandchildren. What does that mean? That he has only children, right? That people that come to him are adopted into his family. He has no grandchildren. Why? People that are just grandfathered into the family. No, that is, everyone has a personal decision to make for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. Nay, you do wrong and defraud in that your brethren... Wait a minute. I think. Yep, yep. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of man, with mankind. Who's that? Sodomites, the gays. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now notice the past tense. They used to be this. They're not anymore. Because if you truly understand salvation and truly understand sin, you're not going to want to be the way you used to be. Amen. That's the transformative power of the gospel. And too many people want to be what they want to be now. They want to be what they want to be in their sin. They want to be what they want to be and do what they want. I'm sorry. You can't come to Christ and have both. No man can serve two masters. Either you're going to serve the master of yourself and be sovereign or you're going to turn from your sin and come to Christ. Because if you're going to live how you want to live and do what you want to do, then why come to Christ? Because obviously you don't need him in your own mind then. But Jesus Christ died so that we might be free and saved from sin. But some people take that a little step too far and they get into lordship, salvation. That's right. You've got to get all the sin out. You've got to do all this first before you get saved. But that's not what Jesus teaches. However, there does need to be repentance, a turning from sin. A change of mind about your sin. My, my, my sin is not okay. You can't come to Christ and say, well, all the sin's good, and I'm just going to keep doing it. That means we don't understand true salvation. Verse number 10, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Sorry, I'm running the wrong verse. Nor, uh, and of such, verse 11, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. Amen. But ye are sanctified. 
but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They profess Christ, but they are not saved because they think that they can keep all of this and do all of this and live how they want and claim to be a Christian. I'm sorry, you're a professor. You're not a possessor of the gospel of Christ and of salvation. That brings number two, pretenders. Now, this is a little bit different. Professors we run into all the time. Pretenders are different. Look at Matthew chapter 7, if you could. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, pretenders, people, that they have the works. We talk, pre- professors don't have works that go along. They don't, have the, they don't live as a Christian should live. They don't care about what the Bible says about how they live. They're a lost person, but they profess to be a Christian, though they're not. And they're easy to spot. Pretenders are different. They do all the religious things. Let's put this into the category of religious people. They follow, try to follow. There are even some that even follow what the Bible says in every area. They do everything as right. It is possible to do all the right things, but you not be saved. It is possible to do that. Some people say, well, I come from a good family. I dress right. I look right. I act right. I talk right. I, I do my Bible reading and I pray. I must be saved. Not necessarily. That doesn't make you saved. There's all kinds of people that live their whole life doing that. There's people that do that all the time in cults and in Catholic churches and Presbyterian churches, and they're not saved a lick because they're not trusting in Christ alone to save them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And this is going to, and I I read this passage, and I think I say this often there are some sad passages in the Bible. This is one of the saddest. This is a sad because these are people that thought they were on their way to heaven. They thought what they were doing was right. They thought that it was, they were taught and thought it was all okay until this time, this moment of time. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day. It's not going to be a few, it's going to be many. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? I did a good work. And in thy name have cast out devils. Did a good work. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How sad. And it doesn't say there's going to be few. There's going to be many. There are many that we encounter today. And can I tell you this? It's hard to tell these people that they're not saved. It's very hard to tell them because they're very firmly entrenched because it's hard for somebody to to put off something they've invested so much in. They've invested time and effort, money, and their life and spent their life doing this. And then you come and tell them, well, that's not what God wants. I said, who are you to tell me that? But they're pretenders. They're, these are the ones that are religious people. They believe that our, their goodness saves them. Well, Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, all our goodness, are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. They have convinced themselves that they have salvation, but have never truly accepted Christ as their Savior. Well, I believe in Christ. I didn't say that. You can believe in Christ. Remember I said the devils believe in Christ, yet they're not going to heaven. 
but that you put your faith and trust, that you have come to the place that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. I was talking to a lady one time and many years ago, and uh, they were talking to me, the husband, you know, claimed to be saved, had a good solid, and I like to ask people, so what's your salvation testimony? I love asking that, because I, I honestly like to hear how people got saved, because you've got some very, in- some people have some interesting stories about how they did. And uh, the gentleman gave a very clear time, and uh, when he was uh, in a revival meeting, and he got saved, but then the wife got very uncomfortable, and um, so I said, what's your salvation testimony? She said, well, I've always believed. You know, I've always, I've always believed. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always believed in Jesus. I'm like, okay, so when was, oh, okay, I'm glad. I, but was there a time in your life, oh, I don't believe in that you have to call upon God to save you. I believe that if you just believe in him, he'll, you'll go to heaven. I'm like, well, ma'am, where in the Bible does it say that? My Bible says, Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. There needs to be a calling. You need to call out to God. There needs to be a time. Don't say, now some people believe you. Well, you have to pray out loud. Well, that, what about people that are paralyzed and can't talk? What about people that don't have speech? I I firmly believe that God's interested in the what? The heart, amen? And many have prayed and asked Jesus to save them from their heart sitting in a pew or in their car driving somewhere. They've come to the place where they've trusted in Jesus Christ from their heart, and they call out to God in silent prayer to the Lord. But I asked her, so have you ever called upon the Lord? She goes, no, and I bet you're going to say that I'm not saved. Because she's at, I've had other preachers tell me that. Well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe. And I said, well, according to the Bible, if you've never trusted Christ and called upon him, that is not biblical salvation. I'm not saying that. The Bible's saying that. And so she didn't quite, obviously, they didn't come back to church after that. Uh, but I was, I think, what, we're here six months when we first that <laughs> It's like, man, you got to run all kinds of things. Haven't run into that since. But uh, she was a pretender. Thinking her way of salvation, her way of thinking about it was right. And that's exactly what happened to these people here in Matthew chapter 7. They thought they were right. They thought that their way was the correct way because that's what they've been taught or that's the conclusion they came to. They really thought it was right. But Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. These are the words of Jesus. He said, You're gonna, I'm going to tell you, depart from me. I'm sorry. You never trusted me. You trusted your goodness. You trusted your casting out devils. You trusted, professed, you even proclaimed my name, but you never trusted in the one whose name you were professing. You never trusted in me to save you because you cannot save yourself. You needed me to save you and you never did that. Can I say something? A lot of churches in our country are full of pretenders. Even Baptist churches. They're good people. They're great people. They've grown up in good homes. They live the life. But in their heart, they're not saved because in their mind, they have a small element of yeah, I understand it's 99% Jesus, but it's 1% me. God has to look at me and see something good. That's what I used to think when I was a young person. You know, I, and I would call out to Jesus, but I always hold out, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not that bad. You know, I don't, I'm not like the other kids in my youth group. I mean, these other kids are doing all this stuff. I'm not that bad. You know, I need to be, Jesus does need to save me from a few things, but the majority, I'm pretty good for most of it. You know, I'm, I was, I was, you know, I'm pretty good. Yeah, there's those couple of things here. 
you know. Uh, but it wasn't until I came to the end of myself and I had a brokenness over my sin that I was all the way sinful and there was nothing I could do. And I wept and I cried and I threw myself on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Only then did salvation come. And by the way, it's not a logical, mental ascent. Okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and I'm trusting him. There is a calling out to God from your heart to be saved. There are those, the pretender has convinced themselves that they have salvation but have never truly accepted Christ. They think that their family heritage of godliness will save them. That God surely wouldn't punish such a good person. You know, I've done wonderful works all my life. You know, people have started orphanages and all of those things. You know, Mother Teresa and all of these, you know, surely these people, these saints uh, that are made saints and prayed to, surely they're in heaven. If they never trusted Christ, they're not. Some of them did. And they've been made, I think uh, some of them would roll over in the grave that they've been made a saint and worshiped and prayed to. St. Francis being uh, one of them uh, and others. I don't know what's the one of them. St. Patrick in Ireland. Uh, he had all the test- he had testimony of being a genuine Christian. But he is worshipped as a saint, and, pe- and I think he'd roll over in his grave knowing if he was being worshipped and others. But that being said, false teachers would also fall into this category. Uh, the Bible says, whose God is their belly? Only what they can get out of you. You know, but here's the problem. Pretenders are hard to detect since they have the appearance of true Christians. But can I tell you something? There is a telltale sign. By the way, I mention this all the time. We're not to go around judging. Well, they're saved. They're not saved. That's a very dangerous thing to do. And you can injure people, especially when you go around doing that to your children. Well, you did wrong, but you're not saved. Now, if you know they're not saved and they've never trusted Christ, you need to tell them that they're lost and they need to come to Christ. That's an important thing. But just because they rebel or they do something wrong, well, I guess you would never, you, if you were really saved, you'd never do that. I'm sorry, did you ever rebel against God even though you were saved? Well, I don't like what you're telling me, God. I don't want to do that. So don't sit there and say, well, my child is rebellious in a certain area, so therefore they are lost. You can't say that. Very dangerous and damaging thing to say. And I know people have done it. It's a damaging thing. Don't do it. You don't know. Pray for them. But those that are pretenders, there's something lacking. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. They do all the right things, but there's something missing. They don't have the power of God on their life. You notice something interesting about pretenders is that they do right, and you know there have been uh, they go and they do the works of God. They work in even in the ministries of the church because you know they maybe even thought they have a clear give a clear testimony of salvation. They never trusted Christ, but they do the work of God. But you notice something? They'll know, they notice something? It seems everything they try and do for the Lord, doesn't go anywhere. It just dies. Doesn't go anywhere. Nothing happens to it. Now, that can be because a Christian has sin in their life. That can happen. But they don't have the hand of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. It's just they don't have any power over it. They can't have any power over the besetting sin. They can't have power. Now, I'm not saying if you're held over by a besetting sin doesn't mean you're lost. However, these are people that they get frustrated they think, they're, I'm doing all the right things. Why isn't it working? Because it's not about you. Because we get so caught up in doing. 
Got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. Now, should we do the right things? Yes, God commands it. However, we trust in that, that that's going to be the magic formula. It's about Christ and his power in our life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing the magic formula. Like we're hitting 20 seconds on the microwave. It's going to happen. And we're told to trust in the promises of God. Yes, and we should. However, only all of that comes out of true salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Hold on. I actually went, went to Ephesians. Why did I go there? 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Those are great verses, and we're going to get to there in just a moment. I'll get there. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Isn't that the day we live in? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What is it saying? They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They have a form of godliness. They look right, they do right. and carry their Bible in, wear the nice suit and tie. They say all the right things. They use the lingo. They say all the right things. Have you ever met somebody like that and said, there's something missing? There's something missing there. The witness of there, there's something missing. And lo and behold, you get to talk to them many times. It's like, oh, well, you know what? I've done this all my life. I am faithful to church. Uh, every service I can be there, and I know God is pleased with that. And, you know, and it's okay. Well, is there a time? Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he wants me to do these good things for him. Careful of this terminology. I'm not saying it's wrong if people are doing it for the right reason, but that kind of terminology usually means someone's trusting their works to save them to some degree. And their goodness. Oh, I, oh, I've been baptized. Oh, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. And ever since then, you know, I've been, uh, I, I've been living the life. Keep, I've been keeping the faith. Okay? Keeping the faith. That's another very careful phrase there. In some, uh, some religions, you put that keeping the faith means staying saved by your works. Some people believe you're saved by Christ, but it's up to you to stay saved. So I got to keep doing that. I'm sorry, that's not true salvation. And that brings us to this. According to Jesus, they have not received the gift, and they are just as lost. They've, even though they're doing all wonderful things, and that's hard for people to swallow. That they're, do, that they're doing all they're supposed to be doing. They're in church, they've been baptized, doing all these things. Yeah, but you tell them, well, according to the Bible, you're lost. They don't like that. They don't like hearing that. But this brings us to... Number three, possessors. Now we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace through faith are you saved. Not of works, as any man should boast. And what does verse number 9 tell us? It tells us very, very clearly that salvation is a gift to be received, not something to be bought or earned. Ephesians 2 Verse 9, not of works that any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Oh, sorry, verse 8, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? 
gift of God. It's a gift. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the what? Gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not through your goodness. It's not through your baptism. It's not through doing all your wonderful good works, which are great, but they are as filthy rags before God. They are worthless. They are wasted. I was a lost person. I was leading people to Christ in Africa. I was leading people to Christ in Honduras. I mean, I was doing the wonderful works, but guess what? I was just as lost. Never forget. You know, I was there, and I had my Bible. I remember being in Africa, surrounded by 20 kids. And I gave the gospel presentation, and I individually went to each one of them. Okay? I know some of you get stressed at three or four kids at BBS. I had 20. I was like, oh, what do I do? So I just started talking to one of them individually. I said, so, and I had talked to them each individually. They, we stood there for like 45 minutes. And so they're all standing around me. They were like intent. I said, man, if all kids were like that. Anyway, uh, so look, and I have them, they, they would talk to me. I said, I don't understand. They would pray and bow their head and pray right there, one after the other. Out of the 20, 18 of them prayed and accepted Christ. And they were so excited and they were so joyful and they had such peace. And I asked myself, I wish I had that. Why don't I? What's missing? They accepted it as a humble and simple gift. You know, it's we as human beings that complicate it. Because we are possessed of the gift, because we have repented of our sin and have called out to God to forgive us. We have received the gift. We are now adopted into the family of God. And now we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's why we always ask the question, and this is very, very important. If you're a true Christian, understand that we are not our own anymore. And we weren't our own before either. People said, well, you know, when I was lost and I was, I was free. Isn't that interesting? Isn't, if you look at the children of Israel, how they talked about Egypt, right? How it was so wonderful. All the leeks and the onions, and we had three square meals a day. They tend to leave out the whips and the oppression and the cries they made out to God to be delivered, and God heard their cry. They left that part out. All the terrible things the Egyptians did them, all how many of them died under that oppression? Oh, they they just didn't mention that part of it. You know, people then say, Oh, you know, the devil like say, Oh, don't you long for the old days? You know, you could go where you want, you could do what you were free. No, you weren't. You were in bondage and chained to sin. You were in under his oppressive leadership. You belong to the devil and to sin. Not a good place to be. But Jesus bought you with his blood and redeemed you from the slave market of sin, adopted you into God's family, and now we are truly free. And now God said, you know what, I understand. I want to live my life. What God... What right does God have to tell me what I need to do with my life? How to raise my kids and have my marriage? How does God have that right? Well, first he made you. 
That gives him the right. You know, we, this is kind of a simple phrase. It's because he's God. That's why he has the right. Amen. That's a simple answer and that's a true answer. Also, we, here, right here as a Christian, we are not our own. We don't get to call the shots. And guess what? We make mistakes when we call the shots, don't we? Well, you know, I know God wants me to do this, but I can go do this over here. I can go do this over here. For you are bought with a price, therefore what? Glorify who? Me? Now glorify God in everything. Whoa, that would keep us a long way from a lot of sin if we remember this verse. Whenever we, before we start our day, Lord, we need to, I need to glorify you with this today. And what's on our body, our hands, right? We used to talk about, you know, don't do things, but also what do you use your fingers for? Amen? That you're glorifying God with this. Oh, it's very easy not to glorify God with this. Even just not glorifying God and wasting time. Guess what? I struggle with it just as much as anybody. It's because there's a lot of intriguing things and information and things you can learn and things that help. Oh, but they can take away your time away from what's really important. Amen? Your family, your ministry, your job. You know what? We learn a whole lot more if we just looked up and looked around. Did you hear about the that there is a, I think it was with Android now, that uh, if you're walking, especially in a city, and it detects through the camera whether you're looking at the phone, that it warns you when an intersection's coming up on the sidewalk so you don't walk into it and get run over. It puts a notification up on your phone. Hey, you're about to walk into the roadway because people don't look up. They just look, they have their earbuds in, and they're just looking, and they just know how to walk. You ever seen, they just know how to walk. With, even though they're looking here, they use their peripheral vision and, and things. And, uh, you know, just, that's crazy. You know, what do we used to do? Look both ways. Now we're saying, look at the phone, it'll tell you. But glorify God with our hands. Also with our, what's part of our body? Our eyes. Oh, that we make a covenant with our eyes. That we would glorify God with what we look at. Hey, man, I know in the summertime, you know, guys, we got to be doing this all the time, everywhere we go, you know. To glorify God with our eyes. To glorify God with our ears, what we listen to. Whether that's music or the speech of other people. That we're glorifying God with it. You know, from time to time I watch uh, some people that do, you know, apologetics work. And apologetic works is great. And uh, I was listening to this one. I don't know why they put it on, on YouTube. But it was just kind of exposing how people uh, that promote abortion, homosexuality, they just got kind of out of control and they're using foul language. And they said, well, we just left it on there so you can hear what they have to say. I didn't think that was necessary uh, for that. You know, we don't need to hear all of that. And, and, that, and, it's, and you can sometimes change those people's mind. Many times they're very entrenched in what they think. And we ought to be defenders of the faith. Amen. However... We need to be careful what we let in our ears. What's connected to our body, our feet. Where do we go? Who do we spend time with? Those type of things. We need to, everything needs to be done. Is this going to glorify God? I think it would change our lives if we just use that simple phrase. Is this going to glorify God? If Jesus 
were standing, we asked, if Jesus were standing right here, would he be pleased with this? Well, no, I guess I can't do that. You know, if Jesus were standing right here, can I tell you, Jesus, the Holy Spirit's right here. God's here already in each one of us. The presence of God is here. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, here I am in the midst of them. The Lord's here. Is he glorified in all that we do every single day? Everything that we say. Now, does that mean we have to live with the pressure of oppression? <gasps> you know, every, oh, I just did that. Oh, no, I'm a terrible Christian. And you know, God knows, the Bible says that God knoweth our frame. Amen. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we're frail. However, I think we could do a lot better if we just simply, God, does this glorify you? And that would transform our life, would transform our actions. It would transform everything. Now, we ask our children, is what you're about to say going to glorify God? I was, by the way, teaching what glorify God means. We use that phrase. What does that even mean? What does glorify even mean? To make much of God. To make much of who he is. To make much of his word. Amen. We need to make much of that. And rise it up. The glorification is to lift up God. To lift up not only in praise, but to lift him up. So we're to glorify God in our body. What does that mean? God, your expectations of me, I'm going to glorify them and raise you up to where you need to be. Because when we get up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning, I'm sorry, God is not where he needs to be. Am I right? You haven't had your coffee yet. God's not where he needs to be. Sometimes. No one else ever wakes up like that. You're better Christians than I am. Right? When you've been woken up by your child for the eighth time in the last four hours, right? Every 30 minutes and you get irritated and frightened because you're tired of going. You just get, ever, don't you even love it how kids have that, kids have that timing? That you're laying there and you're just asleep and they wake you up again. And they wake up again because they're not feeling well or they're teething or something. And you know it's not their fault, but it just, you just hear them again. And you're like, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, man, just go to bed. Right? Just go to sleep. Ever do that? You know, you have that debate. You know, your wife tells you, hey, honey, get up. And you lay there. Maybe they'll go to sleep. I think they're crying. They think they're petering out. Maybe they'll go back to sleep. Ever do that? And you wasted three minutes because they just start crying again. Right? Instead of getting up and taking care of it. Right? You can get up. You can get on the wrong side of You can get in the flesh. Right? Maybe you're not feeling the best. Maybe you're having an off day. You know, you ever... Talk to people, you know, maybe you knock on their door, you say, hi, how are you doing? And they look at you like, what? Like, You're not having a good day, are you? Really? How did you know? Really? You can talk to people. Guess what? We can get like that, but you know what? At those moments when we are in that phrase, we need to stop. That's why our time with God is so important. Our time in His Word, in a time of prayer, that we are glorifying, lifting Him up to where He needs to be. And when he is there, we will have the conscience to ask the question, God, is this, is this going to bring you down in your glory? Is this going to bring you down away from where you need to be in my life? But this only happens if you're a possessor of the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way you're a possessor of the Holy Spirit of God is if we are in possession of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. 
So which are you tonight? I pray that you're a possessor. Are you a pretender? Are you a professor? Pretenders and professors don't go to heaven because they've never trusted in the one who died and shed their blood for them. But possessors, those that have that possess the free gift of salvation, they're not trusting in anything else, not trusting in their goodness, they're not trusting in works, they're not trusting in anything else. They're not... They've come to the end of themselves and they've repented of sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They've saved me. I need to be saved. I cannot do anything to save myself. I know that's many of us in here tonight, but maybe one, maybe one listening to this later on. Are you a possessor of, of salvation that you can stand firm and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if something happened to you right now that you would go to heaven not because of your goodness but because of what Jesus Christ as I plead the blood of Christ he has cleansed me from all sin and because of his promise and his word I am going to heaven when I die and to be with him amen to be absent from the bodies be present with the Lord amen looking forward to that day there's still work to do here amen you're still breathing God's still got a purpose for you until the day that you pass from this life into the next. But which are you? Are you a possessor? If not, tonight's a wonderful night to be saved. So I pray tonight that if any are not, that you would be, I would be foolish to say, well, everybody in here is saved. I've known everybody for a long time. I don't know. I don't know what's in hearts. I have no idea. Only God knows. And if God is pressing that finger of conviction, saying you are not saved, you are a pretender, You've lived the life. You're doing all the right things, but you've never trusted in me. Then come to him tonight. Let's pray.